You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering... The Conservative Conscience. Yes, and now you are with your own group, not the group think of the political elites. You are with the group of the new grassroots here at the Conservative Conscience. This is Daniel Horowitz back in the house on Thursday, January 3rd, 2019. And that is a special day because you know what? This is the one day where Congress... And the politicians actually follow the Constitution. They're never going to follow it for a minute thereafter. But Section 2 of the 20th Amendment of the Constitution dictates that Congress convene for the new year at noon, January 3rd. So they actually followed that. That is one thing we follow. (laughs) So uh, I guess we should celebrate a little bit of constitutional uh, adherence here. Um, otherwise, gosh, I, I needed to just peel my eyes away from the roll call vote. They were voting for speaker today. And a wave of sadness descended upon me just watching this. Um, just bringing up, it, it brings back n- nostalgia. It, it, it's like it was yesterday watching Republicans take back the House this vote on January 3rd, 2011. It's like it was yesterday when Pelosi was standing there with the children, oh, for the children, when she took it over in January 2007. And boy, oh boy, it doesn't even seem that long ago when we had the historic moment with Newt Gingrich ascending the day is there, first time for a Republican in four decades in 1995. And yeah, you know, I was young, but I was crazy enough. Maybe I had this intuition that someday I would need this knowledge and I'd be doing this for a living. So I followed things even in the 90s, obviously not as closely as I do today, but I, I still remember that. And kind of mixed with what we did yesterday when we talked about the Republican accomplishment where the Democrats even agreed to a lot of it to fight illegal immigration and welfare in 1996. And we have our, a, a very long article up today that's a little bit more detailed than what I gave over yesterday. And putting it all together, I was just thinking, why am I sad today? I'm not sad because, oh man, Pelosi is speaker instead of McCarthy. I mean, not, literally nothing changes. I'm not trying to exaggerate here. Nothing changes. The bad stuff in society that's embedded in the states, that's embedded in the judiciary, that's embedded in the executive branch, and all these bad policies on autopilot, that's gonna con- that was happening even with Republicans in charge. Republicans were passing nothing of use out of the House and the Senate and getting signed into law that would make things better. And maybe you'd say, well, now they could pass bad things. Well, I mean, presumably the things that are really bad, even worse than the status quo, you know, they still have the Senate and then Trump's in in the White House and could veto it. So, I mean, not much changes for now. 
the important thing is either way, watching it, I'm sad by the fact that we don't have a vision. What is it we want to do? The last time Republicans actually had a vision was in that 94 revolution. When they had that contract with America, it's really what we need today. For today's show, we're calling it making the law-abiding taxpayer protected class. Everyone's a protected class. But the real protected class are American citizens who are law-abiding. And not any particular color, demographic, gender, behavior. It's the whole of the people is supposed to be a protected class. Protected in the sense of a protectorate. That it's the job of those who are elected by them to use the lawful federal powers vested in them by the federal constitution to protect them in ways that they are incapable of protecting themselves or their state governments are incapable. And that's national security and, and, and just a few other things. International commerce. As I've said time and again, it's time for a movement that will stand for the forgotten American taxpayer. That's not some sort of identity group. Not the criminals, not the legal aliens, or not any one group of Americans over the other to truly fulfill the vision of the declaration that we're all equal equal under the legitimate laws that should be guarded by the federal government. So in today's show, I want to go through what I believe are the two leverage points that we face to deal with the forgotten law-abiding taxpayer as a protected class. It's the fight right now because we have the leverage of the government funding that's running out. By the way, there's a great Wall Street Journal article on how the federal courts might start to feel the pinch because they're officially not funded. And they have to furlough uh, staffers. I was thinking, man, now that will be a real change if we could shut down the federal courts. Again, you know, we have state courts. So if all the federal courts are going to do is pass everything the Democrats can't get enacted into law, you know what? Shut them down. But anyway, So that's the fight over sovereignty, security, society, on immigration. The law and order aspect. And then there's the economic aspect, the free enterprise aspect. And that's going to come up with the debt ceiling. It officially comes back into play March 1st, but because the games we allow Treasury to play, the deadline's going to be more like late May, early June. That's a big leverage point we have to block the debt ceiling. And I have an article on that. We're going to get to that in a minute, the shenanigans that that the Democrats pulled in the House. But those are the two leverage points for which It's time to stand up and be counted where we need a vision right now 
what is it we want with our sovereignty and our security? The vision we've been given given for, for years here. And then our vision of what we want for a taxpayer bill of rights to stop the debt. Not the debt ceiling. Don't abolish the debt ceiling. Abolish the debt. I still think that a good number of Americans agree with us on these issues. It's that Republicans are never holding them accountable and making them squirm. They don't make them squirm. So they don't feel a need to be open about what they're doing. Yes, there's some there's a growing part of this country that's insane and you're seeing that with the growing number of Democrats that are openly radical. But they can only get a majority with people that lie and obfuscate what they are going to support to get elected. You know, one of the things that happened, Nancy Pelosi only got 220 votes. So something like 16 of them didn't vote for her. But you know what? There were 12 that promised not to vote for her. And voted for her anyway. They could have made all the difference. If they were true to all working across the aisle. They could have worked with Republicans and said, hey, we're going to pick a new leader, a new a new path. Truly break this logjam. They had that opportunity. I would have, you know, wouldn't have agreed on a lot of things. Would have been better than the status quo. But no, they had to lie. And by the way, because it was known that they were going to lie and give Pelosi the votes, so then the other clowns, a lot of them, really, you know, they're as radical as Pelosi too, but they're, they, they hold on to districts that are just too strong for them to hold on to if they voted for Pelosi. So they got a hall pass. You know, like the Spanberger woman from, who defeated Dave Bratt, give me a break. She's not going to be a moderate at all. I'm sure Pelosi's not going to storm into her office and be angry at her and punish her. It was an arranged deal. She knows that, yeah, you know, you got to do your thing. But that's the lesson. They had to lie to even get Pelosi a speaker. It's really an underreported story of the day. Under Underreported story of the day. Now, I'm looking here. The 12 Democrats who, I believe this is right, who said they were against her and then voted for her, Gil Cisneros, Yahana Hayes, Brian Higgins, Andy Kim, Seth Moulton, Bill Pascarell, Ed Perlmutter, Tim Ryan, Linda Sanchez, Haley Stevens, Philemon Vela, and Rashida Tlaib, whatever, however you pronounce that, the Palestinian jihadist from Michigan. Well, I guess she was what? She was voting, pledging to vote against her from the left. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, you know, if, if they really wanted different leadership, it only would have taken a few more to oppose. And, and three of the Democrats that dissented, they voted present. So what that does is it lowers the threshold because you need a majority of those present and voting for a specific person. So if you vote present, it just lowers the threshold she needs. But anyway, 
you know, a lot of them, they don't, Republicans don't force them to get on record because they don't speak about the things we speak about. A lot of times Americans would be appalled if we got saturation level focus on some of the stuff that happens. But, you know, that's not what they put out in their lying ads paid for by Soros. So there's actually a huge opportunity here electing Pelosi to drive a wedge. She's very unpopular. But what is our vision? We don't have a party that wants to do what we want to do. The best I could do for now is work with the existing known quantity of the Freedom Caucus, which really needs to decide very quickly whether they want to be relevant, and craft this vision. It's just so sad that every time we tried to light a fire, we had some success, but then it got extinguished over time. And the two benchmark years are 1980 and 1994 with Reagan and then Gingrich. And you, know, you're, I, I was looking back. You see what they accomplished on welfare and illegal immigration. We could have avoided millions of illegals, million, millions of, of attenuating our culture, trillions in costs, endless number of drug traffickers and criminals. Had that vision of IRA, the 1996 immigration bill, actually been fulfilled. It was the executive branch in the courts that screwed us. That bill should have been implemented. Most of it wasn't. You know, under that bill, in-state tuition for illegals is illegal. Yet over 20 states have been able to do it and got away with it. Also under that bill, localities that public school districts that um, house the legal aliens in their schools, they had to pay. The taxpayers. And yet, you know, that it was just never enforced. What if we had a taxpayer bill of rights? And again, it's not just fiscal. It ties into immigration. That no immigration, even legal, but certainly illegal, should ever harm the American taxpayer. We have to get back to our roots of the social contract. Who's going to be doing this? Who's standing up? I mean, think about it. Throughout this entire fight over the border, we have the biggest attention you could ever give to it, given the harm that's taking place because of illegal immigration and the chaos at the border, and then also now the government shutdown, very partial, tied up in it. There, there, there's now, there's an opportunity. But I mean, aside from Trump, you know, we complain about often, you know, he, he goes off message, but he's the only one who's even somewhat on message. Again, I still think he needs to give a national televised address. I don't know why he hasn't done that until now, but where's anyone else? Where's Cruz? Where's Lee? Where's Paul? Where's Cotton? What are Meadows and Jordan doing aside from just saying keep our promises? We need to take this to the next level. So that's the thing. I mean, I'm going to keep 
banging away at my 2018 ideas and try to expand them in 2019, try to push for members to harness social media, just leave Congress and hold field hearings in the field with members of government, members of the civil society. All the stories of people harmed by illegals every day, tell those stories. Have them show up at these field hearings. Draft a document. Do media on it. Be relentless. Draw that bold contrast with the left. You look at what they accomplished. I mean, I I spent all day yesterday researching the congressional record for my article on, um, you know, when even Democrats were forced to agree with anti-illegal immigration measures. I, I just... Watch the floor speeches. Even your run-of-the-mill Republican had more intuition, initiative, values, agenda, and intellect than today's Republicans. Just something happened to these people. They're just balloons in the wind. It's just so sad watching the squandered moment. I was a little kid at the time. I was so inspired by the 94 revolution. It's just so sad watching how, you know, the House had a little bit of fire for a couple of years. But then the Senate never really went anywhere. And then, you know, we got Dennis Hastert, pedophile, gay pedophile. And we got the Bushes. Nowhere. Nowhere. What is our vision? What is our vision? So let's start with the fiscal slash debt ceiling. And then, you know, if we have time, we'll get back to, again, some stuff going on in immigration, jailbreak, crime. I mentioned two weeks ago, I started talking about this, that the debt ceiling was a big deal because I said – The fact that we never had Democrats for a long time in this position where they have the House, but they don't have the Senate and the White House is a very weird mix for them. See, if they had all three branches, they would just quietly raise the debt ceiling and whatever. But they have a little bit of a problem here because officially you're giving Trump a blank check on debt. So you kind of look very weak with that. Right? You have the branch that most swiftly passes legislation. So what are you going to do, swiftly pass a uh, just blank check debt ceiling increase and uh, give it to Republicans? Don't you want to try to embarrass them? You know, you go back to when Bush was president, you would, there were speeches of Obama talking about how it's immoral, the amount of debt, the debt that he racked up and that he um, wanted another debt ceiling increase. So in case some of you thought I was joshing you in my political analysis of how you know Democrats were in a tough position, listen to what they did. Um, as we're speaking now, they elected Pelosi speaker. They're probably just about now voting on the rules package. So the second vote they take is to adopt the rules of the chamber for the 116th Congress the next two years. Now, the majority party controls it, so they wrote the rules, and they did a number of things. And one of the things they did is they did a backdoor abolishing of the debt ceiling law. 
they enabled a procedure to automatically deem the debt ceiling law as having been suspended, thereby obviating the need to vote to increase it or suspend it, by simply every April when you pass the annual budget resolution, that will make it as if it's deemed passed already. So I have an article just came out explaining that. So they don't have to stand in front of the American people and vote to, to increase the debt. That's how potent that vote is. They care about that. And they're counting on the fact that McConnell will just, you know, vote to increase the debt ceiling. And then they'll get off, off the hook not having to do it. Well, what if we worked for the next four months as conservatives to demand that the Freedom Caucus develop a taxpayer bill of rights to finally harness the debt ceiling moment to talk about debt and the priorities of government and what we spend on? Imagine if we had a vision, the conscience rights of taxpayers and property owners must be respected. So no federal subsidies should go to questionable entities. No property owners or business owners should be forced to use his property to violate his conscience. No taxpayer dollars should go to countries or entities that hate America. Very easy things to message. Immigration being an elective policy of, of a sovereign nation should only benefit and never harm the safety, security, and economy of the American citizen taxpayer. And as part of the debt reduction plan, you have you know, cut off all aid to illegals and sanctuary cities. And, you know, you cut off remittances. You know, you want to stop illegal immigration. My gosh. Record high remittances. It just came out that if you add up, I'll link to the article from my friend Neil Monroe at Breitbart. In 2018, 53 billion dollars of remittances. These people are sucking us dry and sending this money back to their countries. 53 billion. Low-hanging fruit. No American should have to work to pay for others who are able-bodied and not working. Okay, that a simple proposition. So you see where I'm headed with that. And then you have a whole thing about taxpayers not paying for a permanent political class. You have civil service reform, term limits, no congressional pensions, mandate that one bill at a time is passed, no legislative log rolling, you know, where you have multiple um, bills at a time. Require searchable databases of every bill resolution document produced by Congress. Create a whistleblower program for executive branch workers to anonymously come before Congress and expose problems, as well as citizens. Bar entities that receive taxpayer subsidies from funding political activities. I'm looking at you, healthcare cartel, funding gun control. No, no taxpayer-funded program conceived to help the poor should be used to create monopolies for private entities and hurt the consumers who aren't subsidized. Tons of stuff on healthcare there. No government mandate or intervention should be used to benefit one particular product or service at the expense of consumers. Ethanol, cafe standards, the higher education accreditation cartel. 
have a whole program on localism, returning power to state and local communities, returning all revenue and responsibility of K-12 education and transportation to states. Put the patient and the doctor back in control of medicine. And again, I'm not going through the specific bullet points. I'm trying to just give over the message here. Government should never grow faster than the private economy. How about that? Right now, our government usually grows annually twice as fast as the private economy. Take political issues out of the courts and keep them where they belong with elected officials. End forum shopping and nationwide injunctions. End standing for frivolous constitutional lawsuits not dealing with legitimate individualized grievances. Take jurisdiction of nakedly political issues away from the federal courts. And yeah, that will apply to conservative politi- you know, and, and liberals. I'm, I'm just giving you some ideas that they're not even just conservative. They would resonate with the broad populace. I didn't think much about this. You know, email me, tweet at me, send me your ideas. I'm just one person. You guys are very smart. I get good ideas from you. We all need to come together. We could do a lot better than this. We need to break out of this monotony. I don't want to be be standing here 22 years from now watching another speaker's vote where our security, society, economy, debt, dependency, culture get 22 times worse than where it is today. And we're sitting with the same false dichotomy and distractions. And that's what's so sad. You look at the sense of urgency in that Gingrich era, and they, they had a drive. The candle was lit. The flame was extinguished after a few years. But there was some stuff there. Immigration was a fraction of where it is today. The transformation of America through that. Crime? We were in our heyday of defeating crime. Healthcare? We got to go back to... It it wasn't great then because it was messed up long before then, but certainly a lot better than now. (laughs) <laughs> and then when it comes to debt and spending and the size of government, what they were, what they were fighting at the time, <laughs> there's nothing we're even proposing that would get us back to the point that the Gingrich era felt was an emergency. And my gosh, our, our social values and culture. Wow. <laughs> the stuff we were fighting back then, women in combat, and not even the degree of combat they have now. I mean, like this, this uh, the homosexual agenda, forget it. And yes, even Democrats were forced to openly say they oppose illegal immigration just to keep our broken legal immigration system flowing. But these are our opportunities. Right now, and it's going to intensify next week when they talk about the paychecks, we have to be willing to give a vision. And I think we could straddle the two tied together. The forgotten 
taxpayer, the forgotten consumer, the forgotten American. That's not a woman or a man engages in gay behavior or not. Is this color or that color? Everyone equal under the law. The whole of the union. Oh, what what, what do the agriculture interests say? What does this interest say? What does this constituency? No, you don't look at any constituency. You do things through a constitutional lens for the whole of the union. At a federal level and for your state at a state level, for your county at a county government level. This is the vision we need. And, you know, in those 10 kind of messaging bullet points I gave you, there's so many ideas you could you could really put into that. It's just so sad watching how, how we go backwards and how the effects, the ill effects of everything that they were fighting ab- about last generation and warned about, we're living it today. And yet we're farther away than ever to having a movement to actually deal with this. We need to play the long game. We need to play the long game. So there's immediate opportunities, but we need to start building for the future. Where do we want to be in two to four years from now? It's not going to happen on its own. Now, by God's grace, there's going to be opportunities. No question about it. There's opportunities for, um, for us to take our message to a new level. There's going to be things that happen in the news in the country that prove the veracity in front of the American people of our position. But we have to assert that position. And we have to focus the attention on those news stories. Where's our movement? I don't have all the answers. I could just do what's in my purview. But, um, you know, I, I learned from you as well. I mean, there, there's egregious things going on that violate the basic, you know, it's not even right or left. They just don't care about us. They don't factor in the common sense of just a universal function for all the people. There's nothing more universal than safety and security, which is really as core the job of any governing body, but then especially safety from external invaders, which is what illegal immigrants are. That is their job. So we talked a little bit about this debt limit business and that, you know, I have my article out. We'll talk about that more in the coming months. The need to develop a strategy for the debt ceiling. And that's the thing. We can't just be reactive. Remember, Pelosi's going to have a lot of problems. A lot of problems. 
It was it was frankly a dumb move on the part of the Democrats. They could have easily gotten someone just as radical as her without the notoriety, without the infamous, you know, negative character traits that that most Americans associate with her. So I think Pelosi is a big opportunity, but you have to show that contrast. You know, one idea a friend of mine proposed, and I'm hoping that he could become the strategist for the Freedom Caucus. We're trying to work that out. So he had an idea. When you're in the minority in the House, there's basically nothing you can do. But the one thing you're afforded is what's called you have you get one vote, not an amendment, but what's called a, called a motion to recommit. So before the final passage of a bill, you get to propose a motion to recommit the bill back to committee with instructions. So you say like, hey, you know, let's say they have an amnesty bill. You'd say, hey, um, you, you usually do something to embarrass the other side. Um, MS-13 members shouldn't get amnesty or something, you know, someone convicted of drug trafficking. I don't know. So something like that. Now, usually they don't feel pressure. No one focuses on it in the majority party, obviously, in locks that votes against it because it's just like a protest vote against the minority. But he thought of an interesting idea. What about rather than doing like a quasi right leaning thing, Republican thing on their bill? How about go the other direction? Make it more liberal actually exposed what we know they believe in but is obfuscated with all their phony talking points and put it on the table. And next week, they're going to vote on a health care bill. And his idea was, you know what? Why don't you have a motion to recommit to propose single payer? So now you can't just ignore all that's a Republican motion to recommit. This is the first vote we're actually having and you could use that prerogative you have in the minority, vote on their stuff. And that's going di- to that's gonna really divide them because you have to understand, while you have the new idealistic ones that are saying they support it, but all the ones that are incumbents that are getting money from the healthcare cartel, now, as you guys understand, we already have single payer. It's just funneled through venture socialism through the cartel. But if you actually carefully wrote a bill to have true single payer that cuts out the cartel, Democrats can't vote for that. Pelosi doesn't support it because that's where they get all their money from. Let's put it on the table. You know, if they want to vote on these like Weasley little gun control things, put it on the table. Have something more substantial. Ban the possession of all nine millimeter guns. Put it on the table. Abolish the Second Amendment. Let's put it on the table. You know, if there's an immigration bill, have a motion to recommit, abolish ICE, force a vote on it. And by the way, in each one of these, Republicans would would vote present. I forgot to say that fact. So it wouldn't count towards it. It wouldn't actually pass. And then... Let them eat each other alive. Okay? Or how about you attach something, abolish all illegal immigration laws. Just put it on the table. There's no no such thing as an illegal person. Anyone who comes here any, any way is entitled to apply for status. Okay. Abolish borders. Because that, that's what they're doing anyway. But they do it in a Weasley way. 
So you know what? Draw them out. Again, these are the type of things that we need to think about. But don't feel bad about being in the minority because we're always in the minority. And again, if you're worried about like new earth-shattering things passing, well, I mean, presumably they shouldn't. With Republicans in control of um of the House of the, of the Senate, I mean. But mo- moving back to immigration, so much goes on in our communities where illegals hurt Americans, and it just doesn't get out there. We need to do a better job of getting this out there. Another story. This is from Yellowhammer.com. News broke on Wednesday that a previous, previously deported illegal immigrant has been charged with first-degree rape of a juvenile in Shelby County. Okay? This was 27-year-old MNCO Betancourt Martinez and what was this guy's deal? This guy was a Mexican native and citizen who was previously deported in 2015. Why? For a felony drug trafficking conviction in Alabama. He was originally sentenced. He already had a guilty plea stemming from a drug felony. He was originally sentenced to 10 years. But his sentence was reduced to three years. He was allowed out on probation. And he got 542 days of jail credit reduced his prison sentence. We're giving credit time to these people. And this is this is other state. This is in the ruby red Alabama. We don't have a single red state. This is another thing. I want to again merge to you illegal immigration and jailbreak. So much of the drug trafficking is illegal immigration. Those are the people in the federal system. They're charged on drug trafficking. We're already letting them out early. And we're already... But what happens is we don't immediately deport them or we let them out and they go on to rape or murder. So again, there's three important points here to make with these stories. Three very important points that I think all, all of us need to do a better job getting out here. And I really mean that. We're, ju- we're just balloons in the wind. We have no vision. None whatsoever. So, um, one of the things here is that A, Most illegals are the ones behind the drug trafficking. B, we already have jailbreak, and they're already getting out too early. And C, so many of the illegals that are drug traffickers are bad dudes all around, and they do much worse things. And that's true of American drug traffickers too. This whole thing was a lie. Speaking of jailbreak, I want to read to you some more stuff that I didn't get a chance to, to deal with. This is from Houston's Fox 
26. This was a story right before the Christmas break. I didn't get a chance to, to read, so it's a little old. On December 2nd, sheriff's deputies say 57-year-old Kenneth Hubert killed his 45-year-old common-law wife, Melanie Johnson, outside of a Scottish inn in northern Harris County. Pastor Clarence Jones was shocked to hear that since Hubert was supposed to be serving a life sentence for murdering the pastor's sister. So he, so this was a pastor. He killed the sister of a pastor. He was serving a life sentence. He was sentenced to 99 years. That happened in 1988. Okay? Well, anyway, this guy is paroled. Hubert, it turns out, was paroled since 2010 from prison. And he went to this woman, um, Melanie Johnson. She opened the door, and uh, he had a gun and shot her four times. He served 21 years of a 99-year sentence, and he was let out on parole. Here's from Fox 26 Houston. According to the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, from January 2017 through June 2018, 355 inmates serving time for first-degree murder were paroled. 80 of those killers paroled during that year and a half period were paroled here to Harris County. Harris County received more of the paroled killers than San Antonio, Austin, and Fort Worth combined. Folks, this is Texas. So, what the hell happened with, um, we're locking up too many people um, for nonviolent offenses. First, no, no, no. This is straight up first degree murderers. There's a program paroling them in Texas. That is how aimless the conservative movement and Republican Party has become. Where that was the one issue in the 90s we were tough on. And now we're we are 100% Soros. The Texas Public Policy Institute com- completely controls the sphere in Texas. There is no movement standing for the law-abiding citizen. It's 100% one-sided how many leniencies we could, we could propose. So in case any of you think I'm like joshing you and I'm exaggerating this issue, just know already in the reddest of red states, they are paroling first-degree murderers. So this has nothing to do with some notion of low-level offenses. This is the fact that all of the so-called conservative think tanks and political donors have bought into the anarchist view of abolishing incarceration. And by the way, you know they talk about the Texas model. They were talking about, oh, anti-recidivism. Let me tell you something. After bottoming out at record lows in terms of crime rates in 2011, violent crime has increased every year, culminating with a 6.9% increase from 2015 to 2016. I'm waiting on the 2017 data. That is higher than the national average, which went up, too. Homicides skyrocketed by 12.2% in 2016 and by 30.8% since 2011. Rapes increased by 10.3% in 2016 and 31.7% since 2011. Robberies increased by 4.4% in 2016, 16.4% since 2011. Aggravated assaults increased by 7.7% in 2016. And again, Texas passed a bunch of leniencies, instituted early release programs in 2009, 2011, 2015. 
That's Texas for you. So that just happened before the Christmas break, but again, you won't hear that anywhere else. I want to go on to another story from right around before, you know, mid-December. I meant to read to you. I haven't gotten a chance. This is from the Lowell Sun, Lowell, Massachusetts. U.S. attorney vows to hammer drug trade. I'd love to get that U.S. attorney, um, uh, Leland, on the on the show, or Lelling. Um, good guy. U.S. Attorney Andrew E. Lelling, emboldened by the hiring of 21 new prosecutors, is pledging to wield immigration enforcement laws to keep hammering away at the city of Lawrence what he called ground zero for the region's deadly opioid epidemic. And notice he says he's going to wield immigration because immigration is the source of the problem. Anyway, Lawrence is one of the top priorities in this office for drug enforcement. You will see enforcement action after enforcement action in the Lawrence area designated to make that city a very uncomfortable place for people to sell drugs there, Lelling said during a 50-minute no-holds-barred roundtable Wednesday. Lawrence is a source city for fentanyl and heroin pouring into New Hampshire and Maine. In October, we arrested about 50 people combining criminal charges and administrative immigration charges in Lawrence. There's recently been additional immigration-related operations against gang members and people with gun and drug charges in Lawrence, and you will see upcoming operations in Lawrence. We'll, um, whereas this will keep hammering away. Okay, Lelling, a law and order hardliner nominated by President Trump, said, if I'm targeting drug traffickers in Lawrence, one of the tools I will use is the immigration laws to isolate gang members, drug dealers, gun traffickers, that kind of thing. Law enforcement officials in Lowell have consistently grumbled, albeit privately, about drugs flowing into Lawrence and through um, Darset, Methuen, and eventually Lowell along Route 110. One former Lowell police superintendent dubbed the 10-mile stretch of State Highway the drug corridor, um, and that's that. Now, I'm just going to skip a little bit here. And by the way, this is what, you know, I'm, I'm told the same thing. Lelling also noted his office's stunning takedown of violent MS-13 gang members. MS-13 is probably one of the biggest success stories of the last year. MS-13 has all but been eradicated in the greater Boston area. We're running out of MS-13 targets, he said. So that's good news. Um, but MS-13, again, it's more the Dominican gangs, from what I hear. Um, in other places where they're strong, they're not being eradicated. But good for him. Good for um, my buddy Todd Lyons as well. Um, who's the ICE, the Boston um, acting ICE field director, and as well as some of his DA counterparts there. So, you know, that's good. But again, notice how it's all the DACA immigration, which even most Republicans this day are like, yes, we need to do something about DACA. DACA is, was the most evil thing, the, the drugs and crime and gangs that it perpetrated on our country. The invade, it's immeasurable. And we've, I'm proud of the work we've done tracing that. But I want to tell you something very fascinating that Lelling said that's going to blow the hole off of this, this whole debate over jailbreak, which is no longer a debate and never really was much of a debate, but we need to make it a debate. Now, Lelling, they call him a law and order hardliner appointed by Trump, right? So he's like, this is, this is the epitome of a guy that you would say – this guy's just grabbing people off the street and putting them away for 50 years for nothing. Listen to what he said. On legal weed in Massachusetts, Lelling said he won't look the other way. 
The severity of the opioid epidemic makes this issue much easier for me. Marijuana simply is not a priority. There are certain circumstances where I think we should look at marijuana cases. When you have a lot of the money sloshing around, is there money laundering going on or whatever? But in my time as a line prosecutor, I've had cases where drug proceeds appear to be going overseas to terrorist organizations. I'm not saying that's going to happen here, but because drug dealing has a way of generating large amounts of untraceable cash quickly, sometimes that money is diverted to other legal uses. And we're very sensitive to that. We're tracking that. Since another point, like I said, increasingly, it's terrorism is being funded through that. And he recognizes that. But notice how he said he's not going after marijuana. Even he is not going after it. So this notion that we're locking people up, it's just not true. It's the ones killing people with the more potent drugs, but more importantly, even than the killing with the drugs, these are also the same gang members that are doing the robbery, rape, and murder, and mayhem all over the place. They're the worst dudes. They're who's in federal prison, and these are the people that almost every Republican joined with every Democrat to let out. That is how badly we are lacking a vision. Who is going to stand up for the law-abiding American seeing their communities transformed by illegal aliens, by gangs, by domestic criminals. They have to pick up the tab. Often they have to pay for their welfare. Who's going to stand up for them? It's time to make them the protected class. There's a lot of stories going on, not just in the urban areas. So many formal rural counties are being transformed, whether it's refugee resettlement, whether it's so, you know, one of the forgotten things is you think of like, you know, illegal immigration, you think of L.A., Baltimore, Chicago, New York, um, New Jersey. But you have this problem now with all these stupid agriculture interests. The meatpacking plants in the Great Plains where you have, you know, Norman Rockwell type of towns that are now overrun by these day laborers that have major issues. Some of them are legally brought in with the H-2B program. Some of them are illegals. A lot of them are illegals. What we have in this country is disenfranchisement. We have social transformation without representation. We have our tax money is going to things that don't represent us. They don't, meaning, obviously, all sides are going to disagree over what's good and what's bad to fund and to support. But what I'm saying is these are things that are prima facie not for the whole of the people. They're not for the whole of the people. Who's going to stand up for the American people? Who is going to stand up for them? So, um, that's the document we need to draft. We need to draft the document. We need to have a good name. A good catchy name. Maybe you guys could take this hour show and try to think of, um, you know, some sort of really good marketing technique.
We need a name for it. And, um, you know, that's, that's just the way it is, folks. That's the way it is. Just want to end off with one other thing. Talking about being represented, the forgotten American. The Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. Cigar. One, one agency of government actually doing good investigative work. Afghanistan is now the largest reconstruction program in U.S. history. It's costed $120 billion and counting. It exceeds the inflation-adjusted cost of the Marshall Plan in Europe. And then actually rebuilt Europe. This rebuilt nothing. Bunch of Islamists. $120 billion. Talk about a taxpayer bill of rights. $120 billion. It's unbelievable. $53 billion of remittances to illegals. We are being picked dry. And again, you don't even have to be a conservative to appreciate that. And by the way, while we send our forces abroad... And spend our money abroad while bringing in endless migrants from these countries and doing nothing to secure our own border and visa system and our own interior, our own communities. You know what we're doing? I mentioned this story before. Decorated U.S. Navy SEAL to face court-martial for charges, including premeditated murder of death of young ISIS fighter. Special Operations Chief Edward Gallagher faced an Article 32 hearing in November at Naval Base in San Diego. Um, let me tell you something. We had this fiend that was serving 99 years for murder, got out after 22, thanks to a Republican Texas model jailbreak program. And then he killed another person. Let me tell you, Edward Gallagher is facing life without parole. Let me tell you, he won't get out. (sighs) Because you see, he's not a protected class of any sort. I don't know. I mean, I'm just, like I said, this show is, is unique. It's different from almost every other show. I think out loud. I talk out loud. It's our town hall together. And if nothing else, I just want to germinate ideas. A lot of times just articulating this, aside from being therapeutic to my own uh, being, believe it or not, it is therapeutic getting it out of my system. You know, as much as I write, there's nothing like putting your physical sense into it. Um. So I think it's it's you know it's definitely helpful in that sense, but it's also germinated a lot of ideas. And again, I want to think of all sorts of ways that we could work together. Um, hopefully, within a week or two, we're going to start this Facebook group. I'm just going to need help internally setting it up. So we just got to get the staff on it. But send me any other ideas you have. Um, grassroots networking of just smart, committed conservatives, and I think. 
It's crafting messaging ideas, policy ideas, exposing stories in your local communities that have national implications, stuff about the American consumer and taxpayer being hosed by government programs, government interventions, illegal immigration, the jailbreak stuff. American taxpayers, American consumers, American innocent victims of crime. We need a vision for those people. We need a vision for those people. So we have two big articles out today I'm going to link to in show notes. One is on the whole history of how even Pelosi and Schumer and Feinstein and Leahy, Patty Murray voted for robust illegal immigration enforcement, a border wall, visa tracking, 287G, working with local communities to root out illegal immigrants. And again, that was the Democrats. They watered down the bill. Republicans back then wanted to literally end illegal immigration. No welfare, no welfare for legal immigrants, which should be too true as well. No phony birthright citizenship. They wanted to abolish the stupid Plyler v. Doe stink bomb from Justice Brennan in 1982 and end K-12 education. What right do you have to shove your illegal kid from Guatemala that came in here with all these social problems against the consent of the people in his school? With all the social problems and the cost and the bilingual education, what right? Who voted for that? Justice Brennan? Are you kidding me? We've been, this is stolen sovereignty, social transformation without representation, disenfranchisement. It's that theme we need to keep beating off of. And again, I'll tell you, I'll tell you very strongly, most of this stuff is common sense to most people. There's a scary, growing share of people that believe in very different ideals. But there's what we can do before that becomes 51%. But I challenge everyone to figure out what is it we are going to do? What is it we want to do? Anyway, we're just about out of time. Not sure yet if we're going to have another Foreign Policy Friday show. But... um. As things ramp up, we're going to ramp up our content here at Blaze Media. I know a lot of you have asked for me to appear more on different shows. We're working on all that. All your ideas, thoughts, comments, criticisms, subtraction, addition, multiplication, whatever you want, let me know. I'm open to all sorts of ideas. Thank you so much for listening. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.